0: It's really good to be back. We missed you last Sunday. I brought a picture. Did you get that picture of my family, Eric? No? Okay. I think there were 130 of us. That's immediate family. I know of 44 that weren't there, so big bunch of people for Thanksgiving. We had Thanksgiving with the Hamiltons and Thanksgiving with the Crosbys and had a wonderful time. All 13 of the original siblings were there, me and my brothers and sisters, along with our spouses. And uh, so we had a great Thanksgiving and enjoyed being away. Thank you for the opportunity to get away. And uh, Graham had his first birthday party yesterday. He turns 10 on Tuesday. Graham is our grandson who nearly drowned, couldn't find a pulse for 30 minutes. We didn't know if he would live or die. But we had his birthday party yesterday. We are really grateful. (laughs) Somebody made a cake. A friend made a cake. Blue, yellow, and red. A Supergram cake. He just, somebody made a blanket. I think Teresa Bovier made a blanket with Superman on it for him while he was in the hospital. And Supergram just kind of became the tag there. And that cake was delicious, by the way, and he destroyed it also. So we had a great celebration. It's wonderful to see you. I hope you are enjoying the holidays, that you had a great Thanksgiving yourself with your family, that you're looking forward to Christmas, that you're preparing your heart spiritually for this celebration. What a great time to go ahead and tune up spiritually. Amen? to talk to your family about the meaning of Christmas, to read the Christmas story together, to visit the text of the Scripture, to help your children and grandchildren know the truth about what uh, about Christmas, what it means, what it is. Just a very easy time of year to invite people to keyboards, to invite them to Christmas on Canal next week, to invite them to come to our Christmas Eve service. Uh, all these are easy avenues, easy Uh, ways to just share the love of Christ and be open about your faith in Christ. We are Jesus' people here at First Baptist. I have the opportunity every week to say that to somebody new. We are Jesus' people. Aramee was baptized this morning, and I told her as I talked to her, we are Jesus' people. That's who we are. She just trusted Christ, and we want her to know we are centered in Christ. And we have a great text this morning, one that's very familiar to us all. It's Luke chapter 2. We are doing Christmas for every longing heart. And today, it is room for every longing heart. And the issue of room comes up in the story of Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, I'll begin to read. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, John chapter 1, verse 10. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God, to all who received Him, born of God. Seems to me here in New Orleans we are in the clutches of winter. Does it feel that way to you? It's chilly, it's dark. I looked outside before I came into the room. There was no sunshine out there. It just seems like winter has descended. And the days are so short, I can't get used to it. It's dark, you know? Before six o'clock, 5:30, it's dark outside. The sun is gone. And winter has its own peculiar beauty and its challenges as well. In winter, there's nothing like a hot fire. I miss that with central heat. I don't know if you do. Some of you have never experienced, you know, being able to back up to a wood stove or even a propane gas heater and for sure a hearth, a fire in the fireplace. That's how we heated our house when I was growing up. We had radiators in in Minnesota that would pop and crackle and get hot in every room and we'd jump out of the bed and lay our clothes on the radiator and then jump back in bed and wait till the radiator warmed up the clothes before we put them on because in minnesota in the winter it would freeze on the inside of the window pane i mean ice would collect along there and we'd be sleeping under these quilts and things you could see your breath in my bedroom some mornings when we woke up We'd heat up our clothes on the radiator. I'd like having a source of heat to back up to. If you've been to a ski lodge, you know what it's like to have that fire going in the big great room. Maybe you have a fireplace in your own home. For years and generations, human beings on cold evenings have gathered around the fire and they put their palms to the blaze. They watched the twigs and branches crackle and the blue and yellow flames dance. They turned to each other and said hello. And strangers met one another at the fire. They shared a cup of coffee or a cup of cocoa. Got to know one another, found out where they were from. That fire fought the cold outside, even In generations past, when houses were not insulated and the cold came up through the cracks of the floor and around the windows and the doors, if you had a great blaze going, you could gather by the fire and stay warm. There was the anticipation in Mary and Joseph's heart of something like that as they arrived in Bethlehem. It had been a long journey. They had either walked or maybe ridden a donkey the entire way, 80, 90 miles, four or five days on the road. They were tired. They were weary. They anticipated room in Bethlehem for their need. They anticipated that people would recognize that Mary was pregnant. As the old Bible said, that she was great with child. She was about to deliver. And they anticipated that people in Bethlehem would make room for them. There was an anticipation that maybe some of the ladies would care for her while she had that baby. That maybe some of them would rock that baby to sleep while Mary rested after the birth. They anticipated that folks would make room. just like we anticipate this holiday season that people will make room for us. We anticipate when we're in a hurry and we pass everybody on the road going off the ramp that when we just about get there, if we put on our blinker, somebody's going to tap their brakes and let us in. We anticipate that. A guy did that to me this morning. If I'd known he was trying to pass me, I'd speed it up. But we anticipate people are going to be kind, they're going to be patient, they're going to let us in. If they don't, if everybody stays bumper to bumper and we can't get in to get off on the ramp, it burns us up. What's wrong with these people? It's Christmas season. They need to drive with courtesy. Somebody should have let me in. Now i got to go down and make a U-turn. That just happens to me, right? I'm the only one. My Christianity gets tested on the freeway about more than about anywhere else. I just got to tell you. We anticipate people will make room for us. They'll tap on their brakes. They'll let us in. If the elevator's almost full, we anticipate they'll crowd toward the back. It's okay. You can always get one more in an elevator. And if they don't, we're upset. They let that elevator close right in my face and off they go while I got to wait. We anticipate people to scoot back, pull their legs up, and let us in the pew. We anticipate that people will make room for us. No room in the inn. No guest room in the house. It was more like a bedroom breakfast back then, I'm sure. Bethlehem didn't have a holiday inn with a hundred rooms. But when Passover came or the big celebrations were happening in Jerusalem, it was just seven miles from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. The folks in Bethlehem who had big houses would turn them into bed and breakfasts, and they'd have special rooms set aside for guests who might arrive. Mary and Joseph anticipated that they would see their condition and provide for them. God sent his son with the expectation that this world would make room for him. He came to his own. He came to his own. If anybody should take care of you, it's your family. He came to the household of Israel, to the children of Abraham, to the descendants of David. And there is the expectation that as inconvenient as it might be, they will make room. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world did not recognize him, didn't know him. In fact, the world had run out of room. Sometimes you just run out of room. Maybe the innkeeper ran out of room. That's probably the explanation. He just had a certain number of rooms and Mary and Joseph were later than the other guests and he had rented them all out before Mary and Joseph got there. He just ran out of room. Having no room inside the house. Maybe this was generosity on his part. Many people speculate that to be the case. That he said to this couple and the woman obviously ready to bear child, just go to the stable. You'll be all right there. It's dry in the stable. I think of Jesus being born in that stable. And I trace upward to John the Baptist, introducing him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I think about how he is called in the New Testament our Passover. And I wonder If there were other Passover lambs born in the stable that night. You know, at the farm, the lambs are coming right now. I saw twin baby lambs on the trip to the farm just a couple weeks ago. You know where those lambs are going to be sold in three or four months? Houston, New York. They're going to become Passover lambs many of them they are raised not for the wool but for the meat they are dorper sheep and they are not even sheared many of them have twins in fact that's why dorpers are preferred they have twins out of 60 ewes on the farm we will get 100 lambs be able to sell them at passover time at a prime price bethlehem is the place, these are the fields, where the Passover lambs grazed. And this is the place where they were born. And at Passover time, you want that three or four month old lamb that weighs 80 to 100 pounds and is tender as he can be. That's what you want. And I wouldn't doubt there may have been some Passover lambs even in this place where our Passover lamb was born this night. The inn was full. They ran out of room, but that's all right. From beginning to end, he is identified as our Passover. Sometimes we run out of room. It's Christmas time, there are so many things to do, so many presents to buy, so many things to get done, families coming in, special food to prepare, and we ourselves run out of room. There's just not any room left. In fact, every human life, every human being makes choices about the room they put in their calendar The space they reserve in their house, and even the space they reserve in their hearts. The truth is, not every heart is a longing heart. Some people are happily full, and they don't sense in an acute way a need for a Savior. They've run out of room. Many of us, when we tell the story of our faith in Christ, it begins with a time, with a crisis in our history, in our own personal story where, where we realized we had to make room for God. We had to make room for prayer. Prayer. There was a hole that we couldn't fill. There was a need that we couldn't cover. There was a longing that we couldn't satisfy. And we tell the story that way. Often in the Christmas season, God is at work in people's lives, helping them see their need for the Savior, for Jesus. It is the work of God this drawing of our hearts to his and convicting about our sin. That is the work of God. And when we begin to ask spiritual questions and probing questions of ourselves and sometimes other people, that's the activity of God. That's God at work in us. Jesus said, my father is always at work to this very day. That's what Jesus said. You believe that? You believe my Father is always at work to this very day? Some people have a hard time believing in the activity of God. I've had people say to me, if God would just speak to me audibly, then I would believe. You know that happened in the the time of Jesus There was a moment when God the Father spoke from heaven about his pleasure in his son. He announced it in audible terms, in a voice, from heaven. God spoke. Some said it thundered. God could speak from heaven to you today or tomorrow. He could say, hey, I want your attention. And you might look around and say, I guess I just heard thunder. There are people who say, if I could see somebody physically raised from the dead, then I'd have faith. I would believe. I'd believe in the activity of God. If I could have seen Jesus resurrected from the grave myself. Jesus told the story of a beggar named Lazarus who died and went to paradise, went to be with Abraham in Abraham's bosom. And the rich man that had ignored him also died and was buried. And the scripture says in hell, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. He begged Lazarus for a little drop of water in his tongue. He was tormented in this flame. And then he said, look, send Lazarus back. Send Lazarus back. Tell my brothers about this awful place so they won't come here. And the answer was, well, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to Moses and the prophets. And the rich man in hell said, oh, oh, no, no. If somebody would come back from the dead, they'd believe. And the response is, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if somebody comes back from the dead. This matter of faith... It's about you confessing and believing that the God who created you also attends to you and that he is at work around you, in your life, in the lives of the people around you. And if you listen and watch, you will see his activity because he is always at work, even in you. Now, here's the unpardonable sin, okay? You've heard of the unpardonable sin, right? The unpardonable sin is attributing the works of God to the devil. It's saying of God's activity around you, that's not God. That's something else. That's the devil. That's happenstance. That doesn't mean anything. How can God break through to you if you never acknowledge that He is at work? Not in your children, not in your spouse, not in your parents, your family, your neighborhood, your community, or anywhere in your world. How can God break through to you if everything He does, speaking from heaven, having Jesus come from the dead, you got some explanation for? It's not about you being convinced by some miracle, it's about you identifying the longing in your heart acknowledging there's something about life that doesn't come together for me why am i on this planet anyway christmas is for every longing heart and for every longing heart god makes room god makes room he loves to make room for every longing heart. Jesus said, come unto me. All, all you who are laboring and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if anybody comes to me, I am not going to refuse them. They can come on in. Christmas is about God making room for every longing heart. I can't tell you the joy and anticipation and peace that will flood into your life when you are finally introduced to the Christ of Christmas in a personal way, and he becomes your Lord and Savior. Life is absolutely different once you know him. To know Christ is to know truth, to know the way, and to have his peace room for every longing heart. That's what God makes at His table in heaven, in His mansion. He makes room for us, not just temporarily, not just for a day. He makes room for us for an eternity. I am startled sometimes how we who call ourselves Christians and followers of Jesus are so reluctant to make room for the hurting and needy people around us. Andrew gave his testimony about foster care and he talked about making room at your table for orphans in need in this community. And I thought it was a beautiful way that he phrased it, making room at the table for kids that don't have a family thank you Andrew that's a great thought and over in Texas I was talking to people and some of them are on school boards and they're having a school consolidation and the foster kids came up and at one point there were a lot of foster kids in one of those schools and one of them said you know they didn't want foster kids they didn't want those foster kids in their school they didn't want them to move to the new school foster kids are trouble they're a problem and we got our kids to take care of so we don't really need the foster kids in our school and it dawned on me right then among those good people who go to church it dawned on me right then that the human race has neglected the orphans and the widows all its existence Every generation finds a new way to get around caring for orphans and widows. Let somebody else do it is the song that humans sing when it comes to those problematic kids and those difficult old people and how we're going to handle them. And even folks who go to church every Sunday and carry the name of Jesus don't have room for them. Life's too full, life's too busy, I've got other things, let other people do it. It's the song of the human race. Let somebody else do it. That's why all the way through the Bible, the people of God are challenged. Do not neglect the poor. Care for those orphans. Care for those widows. Keep them on your heart. Take care of them, why? Because you are the people of God and God made room for you. How dare you fill up your heart and steal your heart from people in need around you when God made room for you? Did God make room for you? Do you live every day in the wonder of God caring for you and receiving you into his family? The reason we open our homes and our hearts and our pocketbooks to those who are in need is because God opened up His heart and poured out His favor on us. This Christmas, the challenge is not how we're going to dress or decorate, the challenge is how are we going to express the love of Christ. In a world that doesn't know him. How are we going to illustrate it? How are we going to incarnate it? How are we going to put flesh on the gospel? How is the good news going to become personal, real, and face-to-face in our community, in our family, in our friendship circle, in our world? As we make room in a surprising way for those who have done us wrong. For family members who haven't been speaking to us. For people who walked out of the house and didn't come back. As we make room for the folks who spoke unjustly about us or maligned us. Or did unjust things to us. As we make room for the people who treated us wrong. The world looks on and says, now that, that's different. Everybody knows about the love where you love those that love you back and you give to those that give you back and if they can give you a present, you give one to them. Everybody knows about that love. How about the kind of love that Jesus gave us when we were sinners? Christ died for us. This is the love of God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the satisfaction, the Passover for our sin. I am thrilled to be part of a congregation that reaches out to those in need because I think it is the distinctive quality of a follower of Jesus. And we ought not to give up on it personally. It is a challenge every day. It is costly. It is messy. I understand. Don't you give up on it. Jesus summarized all in love God and love your neighbor. And he said, love in your neighbor means stopping by the road when others walk by. Taking care of the wounded when nobody else will carrying them to the inn and spending the night and paying whatever else they spend. That story of the Good Samaritan is the way Jesus described love of neighbor. And what Jesus was describing in the story was a love that passes my ability. I can't imagine myself living that way. I get to the end of the story and I think, does anybody love this way? And then I think, oh, yeah, the story's an autobiography. This story's about Jesus. He loves this way, and not only that, he loved me this way. When I was beat beat up and without hope and laying by the side of the road and couldn't help myself, Jesus came to me and said, hey, come on in. I love you, and I'll take care of you. When nobody else cared, Jesus did. It's the wonder of Christmas that God sent his son not to rescue unnamed persons of huge magnitude, but he came to rescue you, George, Mary, Nancy, Philip. It's about you, this Christmas story, and how God made Room for you. Is your heart longing at all? Have you got a longing, a thirst, a hunger spiritually inside? Find in the Savior the satisfaction for your need, and you will also find a wonderful purpose. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, this would be a wonderful moment to say, Lord, I need you. Just tell him, just tell him. I need you, Lord. I want you in my life. Forgive me for my sin. I give you my heart. Would you just tell him that? Just surrender, just let it go. Offer yourself up to God as Jesus offered himself for you. A life for a life. If you've been following a long ways off, what a great moment this Christmas season to resolve in your heart that you will indeed once again open your heart, your life, your spirit and soul the Christ of Christmas and the need around you that you will minister in Jesus name to those that he reached out to when he was here God that you would do something powerful in our lives with family members who are estranged with conflicts that have arisen in our own close-knit group with our friends God that you would do something powerful in us that we could carry back into our world making room for those who have pushed us out, making room in our hearts for them, and thus illustrating how God loves us. God, make this time your time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.